As we study and continue our study on the healing heart of God, I, I want to remind you that we're looking primarily these first few weeks at the names of God, names that reveal the nature and the character of God, which allow us to get to know him and his ways. And hopefully by getting to know him and his ways, it, it leads us to be able to trust in him. Because as you get to know him, you'll be able to be more comfortable in following him and trusting him. So the names names of God are a perfect expression of himself. And last week we looked at the seven compound names of God in the Old Testament. Each and every one of them began with the name Jehovah. Jehovah means the eternal, self-existing, unchanging God. He is the Lord. Everybody say Jehovah. Is the eternal, self-existing, unchanging God. That is who Jehovah is. Now, when you compound that with another one of his names, you get to know him more personally. So we looked at Jehovah Jireh, the Lord, our provider, Jehovah Nisi, the Lord, our banner, Jehovah Rapha, the Lord, our physician, Jehovah Shalom, the Lord, our peace, Jehovah Raha. The Lord, our shepherd, Jehovah Sidkenu, the Lord, our righteousness and Jehovah Shammah, which means the Lord is present. So he's our provider, our banner, our physician, our peace, our shepherd, our righteousness. And he is always with us. He is Jehovah. He is the Lord. There's none likened unto him. But today I want to dedicate the message to everyone who has ever felt marginalized Unworthy, ostracized, wounded, hurt, dejected, rejected. And those that feel they can never make up for all the mistakes or all the sins that they committed in their lives. So we talk about the healing heart of God. That's what I want us to experience. It's more than just a physical touch. It changes the way that we live our life. It changes the quality of our life and Every single one of us in one of those ways has experienced rejection. We felt ostracized. We've, we've felt neglected. We felt devalued. Many times, you know, we don't feel appreciated, respected. Uh, we have regrets for things that we've permitted or ways in which we've behaved. But Jesus in his ministry, revealed something to us that reverses all the negative experiences in our life and gives us something we can hang our hat on to have confidence in that regardless of our past, that God's promise is, I will take all of your sins and I will cast them as far as the east is from the west. Your sins and iniquities I will remember no more. And I'll place my spirit within you and I'll make all things new. You can live without condemnation or regret or a sense of unworthiness because I believe today's lesson will free us up to serve God by faith. Quit trying to do it in and of our own power, our own ability. Quit trying to prove something to God. Quit trying to make something happen and learn how to rest and rely on what he has done and who he is. I think in finding rest, you'll find a better quality of life. I think you'll not struggle with what do I have to do next to accept for God to accept me, for me to feel important. 
or of a person of value. And most of us are driven by that kind of thinking. It's just innate in the Western culture. The more we do, the better we feel about ourselves. And the less we do, the less, you know, we, we feel like we're not contributing. We're, we're not doing anything that's worth acknowledging. So let's take a look at Exodus chapter 3, if you would, please. Exodus chapter 3, back in the Old Testament, you have Genesis and then you have the book of Exodus. And Exodus is a tremendous story about how God brought his people out of bondage. And now Moses is having a conversation with God. And we're going to pick up in midstream in verse 13 and read down through the 15th verse. Then Moses said to God, Indeed, when I come to the children of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they say to me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, thus, you shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Moreover, God said to Moses, thus, you shall say to the children of Israel, the Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham The God of Isaac and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and this is my memorial to all generations. Now, in this conversation that Moses is having, he's he's finally come to the place that he's accepted that God's not going to take no for an answer, that he was a chosen vessel by God, and that God you know, worked with him patiently and Moses stated his case of why he didn't feel that he could be used by God and and why he wasn't worthy and, and why he couldn't represent God. And every time that he gave God a reason why he didn't feel that he could be used, God gave him a reason why he believed he he did have value and he did qualify and he could be used. So there's some of you, God has ask you to do something and you don't feel like you're capable of doing it, worthy of doing it. You don't have the strength to do it. You don't have the degree to do it. You you, you just don't have the pedigree. And, and you've been rolling this around and talking to the Lord about it and eh, talk while, you know, all all that you want. And as long as you want, as long as you, at the end of it, realize that you're probably not going to convince him that your ways are more enlightened than his ways, that his selection, uh, he didn't make a mistake when he chose you, just like he didn't make a mistake when he chose Moses. And so Moses has finally wrestled with this, uh, somewhat reluctantly accepted it. He still negotiates here and there with God, and, and God is patient with him. But now he's getting ready to go talk to uh, his people. And uh, he doesn't have the greatest reputation among his people. Don't worry, your reputation doesn't cause you not to be qualified to be used by God. He, he's already murdered a man and he covered up his sin and, and, it, and then he ran from God for 40 years. And so, I, I mean, when you look at his resume, it's not a sterling silver resume. And, and once again, it reminds us that, that God doesn't choo- choose golden vessels or silver vessels. God chooses yielded vessels. And finally, Moses got to the point that he yielded to God. And the moment that he said yes and drew near to God, God began to reveal himself through a burning bush. This is the point of this conversation. God said, step forward. And when you step forward, I want you to do something to show that where you're stepping is not ordinary ground, but holy ground. Take your shoes off. 
And he stepped and he stepped into the presence of God and he's saying, okay, I'm going to go and I'm going to talk to this group of people. And you know this people better than I do. So they're going to have some questions and I don't have answers. (laughs) I don't have answers for these people. So you're going to have to help me when they ask, because they're going to ask God, you know, they're going to ask these people there. They got more questions than any other group of people that have ever lived. They're going to want to know who you are. Who are you? And, and he said, okay, I'll reveal one of my names. I am who I am. This is a, a compound Hebrew name. There's three parts of it. One is repetitive. I, I wish my Hebrew was as good as my English, but it's not. So I'll, I'll do my best. To enunciate it, he said, I am aha, asr, aha. And what he's saying is, I am, I was, I will be. I am the sufficient one, the all-knowing, ever-present, all-powerful, almighty God, is how he revealed himself to Moses. Now, that within itself maybe would cause Moses to be able to go with more courage, with more confidence, with more assurance. Wow, you mean... I'm representing the one and only I am, the all-knowing, ever-present, all-powerful, almighty God has chosen me, is preparing me the all-sufficient one. I get to represent you. You're partnering with me. You're going to go ahead of me. You're going to work with me. You're going to work through me. So, Moses is gaining more and more confidence. It's still a big assignment. It's not an easy thing to do. He's going to have to trust the Lord, as all of us have to do. But in this moment, God said something about himself that he has never said before. And this is how important what he said is. This is for every generation. It's It's for the Jews, it's for Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, which tells us he's the God of generations. And it's for all generations. And then he tells us how long this name is to be honored and to be recognized forever. So it has no beginning, it has no end, just like the name. You can't measure it, it's width, it's height, it's length, it's depth, it's who God is. It's the big picture of who he is. I am who I am. And so in John's gospel, chapter eight, Jesus is having a discussion with the Jews. And scripture is very clear in John chapter eight uh, that the audience is not very receptive to Jesus and has uh, made many accusations about him already uh, they, they have said that, you know, you're doing things because you have an evil spirit, that basically you're a son of the devil and that uh, you are not a true representation of, of God or anything that is godly. And we already have uh, everything that we need. We have Abraham and we have Moses and we don't need you. And they're not warm and receptive. They're not inviting. Uh, and they're very accusational. And in this conversation that Jesus is having with his adversaries, which are really his fellow countrymen, 
the lost sheep of the house of Israel. We're going to pick up in 50 in verse 53. It says, and they ask, are you greater than our father Abraham who is dead? Now, Jesus' perspective on death and life is different than ours because when we think of death and life, we think of something that ceases to exist. When Jesus thinks of death of life, death and life, what he thinks of is just death means separation. No one ever ceases to exist. And both are eternal, either eternal death or eternal life. And so what they're saying is, you know, Abraham, Abraham has lived he lived a long time ago and he and he is already dead. And yet God, when he revealed his name to Moses, said, I'm the God of who? Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. I am. So in God's mind, when Abraham passed away, he didn't cease to exist. He just switched locations from where he was temporal to where he'll be eternally. And the Jews, though, say, all right, are you greater than our father Abraham, who is dead? And the prophets are dead. So who do you make yourself out to be? They are accusing him of promoting himself. Who, who are you to promote yourself? Who are you to say anything about yourself? You're make, you're trying to make yourself something to us and we don't think you're anything. We already have Abraham, Moses and the prophets and they have spoken and we have their words. We don't need your words and we don't need your teaching and we don't need you. That, that, that is, that is a place that causes most people to say, okay, if that's the way you feel about it, then I'm out of here. I'm done with you. I'm going to wash my hands. I'm going to walk away. And Jesus continues to have this conversation. And it's amazing to me. Jesus answered in verse 54. If I honor myself, my honor is nothing. It is my father who honors me, of whom you say that he is your God. Yet you have not known him, but I know him. And if I say I do not know him, I shall be a liar like you. But I do know him and keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day and he saw it and was glad. Then the Jews said to him, are you not yet 50 years old? And have you seen Abraham? And Jesus said to them, most assuredly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. And then they took up stones to throw at him. And Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple, going through the midst of them, and so passed by. Well, it's obvious that the Jews' volatile response to the question, who do you make yourself out to be, shows that they understood exactly what Jesus said when he made the statement, before Abraham was, I am. If Jesus wanted to please the people and appease his own people and not have all of this drama, he could have said, before Abraham was, I was. And this would have allowed to the Jews to dismiss Jesus as merely a madman, a false teacher, and one that was delusional. But Jesus didn't choose those words. 
Jesus chose his words very intentionally. He, he could have said, before Abraham was, I was. And they would have said, you're crazy. Now we know you have a devil. Now we know you're self-promoting. Now we know you're delusional. You have lost your mind. But that's not the words that the Spirit gave to Jesus. So Jesus spoke, before Abraham was, I am. And this forced the Jews to either accept or reject Jesus as the Son of God, the Messiah, who was sent from the Father. He didn't give them any wiggle room. Because when he played the I am card, he played the God card. And the only one qualified to play the God card is God. And so he played that card. He could have got out of the conversation. He should. Have, he could have said, I'm done with you guys. You just stay in your lost condition. Stay in the darkness. Stay blind. I tried to help you. You wouldn't allow me. But he played the last card in his hand to try to reach them. He went all the way to the end of the conversation. He put up with all of their foolishness, all of their accusations, all their anger, all their rejection, all of the things that they were saying to him for one reason. He was sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And he wasn't about to lose out on an opportunity to fulfill that assignment with this audience. This was a tough crowd. This was, this was a, this was a hard hearted. I mean, countenance was hard. I mean, their words were hard. They were hard on Jesus. And yet he played the God card. So when Jesus said, I am, he was revealing his nature and identity and hope that the Jews would accept him and be saved from their sins. Jesus went on to use seven, which is the number of completion. Just like last week we looked at the seven compound redemptive names of Jehovah. It completely tells us who God is. Jesus used seven emphatic I am expressions of his name, which revealed his saving relationship towards mankind. These tremendous metaphors let us know who God is in the form of Jesus and why he came. And every single one of these I am statements are tied directly to a miracle that he performed or a work of redemption that he had already completed. So let me go over those with you. And then we're going to spend a couple minutes looking at each one. Okay. But before I, I get into the seven great I am statements at, at this point in the conversation, I mean, they are, Accusing Jesus of blasphemy is a Leviticus chapter 24 issue with them is that you being a man are making yourself God. And so they, according to the Levitical law, were bound to stone him and to get him out of their assembly because he would defile them. So this is how contaminated they are in their thinking that he came to save those that are lost and those that are lost don't welcome the gift of salvation into their life. So one of the assignments of the Apostle John in his writing in the book of, in the Gospel of John, was to reveal that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, so that in doing so, 
we would believe in him and have eternal life. So these seven I am statements that Jesus made to the Jews that that caused them to either accept or reject him are the basis of our study this morning. All of them are tied to something that he did, a miracle or a work of redemption. Number one, I am the bread of life. Number two, I'm the light of the world. He said, I am the door or I am the gate. Number four, I am the good shepherd. Number five, I am the resurrection and the life. Number six, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And number seven, I am the vine, the true vine. So number one, I am the bread of life. This is found in John's Gospel, chapter six. And all of these names are written and and all of the accounts are written in gospel of uh, the Gospel of John from John six all the way through John fifteen. When Jesus said, I am the bread of life, it's in reference to him just feeding 5,000 people, which was a miracle. And Jesus is, is reminding the Jews that he's, that are disputing with him and arguing with him is, if, if you're not going to believe me for my word's sake, well then, believe me for my works. And his works are mighty. And so 5,000 people followed him. And then for many days, and then now they're hungry, they're in a desert place, and they have nothing to sustain them physically. And so a miracle takes place, the feeding of the 5,000. That's a metaphor for everyone who's in a desert, in a dry place, who's hungry and thirsty. If you come to Jesus, he is your bread of life. He satisfies your hunger. He quenches your thirst. And And he meets you in the lowest place in the desert. And when you're hungry and you're famished and you feel like you're going to die. Now, some of us feel like we're going to die if we don't eat every six or eight or 12 hours. Parents, have your children ever used that phrase? I'm so hungry, I feel like I'm going to die. Do you think to yourself, oh, my goodness. Yes. But this, this was, this is a real problem. Death is something we all will encounter physically, but you never have to be separated from God eternally because Jesus is your bread of life. How do you know you have it? I have Jesus. Jesus is my bread of life. I can draw from him any time. He nourishes me. He satisfies me, even in the most difficult places. The Lord always has bread for me, always has manna for me, always has a word for me, always has something encouraging for me. He is the bread of life. The second one is, I am the light of the world. This is in light to the woman caught in adultery, a very dark place. There she was condemned and accused and brought before Jesus to be sentenced. And they wanted Jesus to sentence her. They're saying, okay, if you're God... And if you're all these things and a Snickers bar and you're trying to make yourself out to be God, you know what Moses said. What happens to this woman? And Jesus knows where they're coming from. He knows there's not an ounce of pure intent in what they're doing. And he looks right through the intent of what's going on. And he says, okay, to that audience, a tough audience, rough crowd, rough, rough people trying to catch Jesus. And they're doing it in a very sarcastic, dishonoring, disrespectful way. Okay, yeah, all right, God, why don't you tell us what you do? And now they already have their ammunition. They already know what the law says. They already know what Moses says. They already know. 
everything that is written. And they're just going to try to trip Jesus up. And Jesus, boy, if there's anyone that can flip a script, it's Jesus. And Jesus goes right past all of their plotting and planning. And he says, okay, I'll tell you what. Why don't you get it started? Why don't you get this rock party started? Why don't you throw the first stone? Everybody in this crowd who's without sin, you go ahead. Start it off. Well, they couldn't because they knew, they knew that they were as guilty as the one they were accusing. So Jesus says to this woman, where are your accusers? After that conversation with all of them, well, they all dropped their stones and walked away. And that's exactly what she said. She said, there's no one here to accuse me. He said, and I'm not going to either, but go and sin no more. He gave her something and someone to live for. He's the light. He brought her out of darkness. See, some people feel marginalized, unworthy. They don't feel like God could use them because of mistakes that they've made. And other people know about it and other people talk about it and other people judge them and other people criticize them and say, God can't use that person. God can't forgive that person. God can't be good to that person. Look, they're an adulterer. Who are, who are they to think they can work with kids? Who are they to believe that they can hand out tracts or pray for the sick? Who do these people think they are? I tell you, they are the people that are not condemned and they know Jesus is the light in their darkness. Jesus said, I am the light. I'll bring you out of that dark place. I'll bring you out of that pit. I'll bring you into a glorious place. The third is, I am the door. This is a great metaphor. I am the door or I am the gate. We know in in the Middle East at this time, it was an agricultural community. And so one of the things that you may not be aware of is the sheep came in from the field at night because it was easier to protect them and provide for them. And left out in the field over the evening hours, they were more susceptible to wolves and to other predators or to even to thieves and robbers. Okay? How, how many of you ever saw the movie Babe? Remember the movie Babe? It was a great movie, a great metaphor. I mean, it, just a bunch of parables. But do you remember that certain men came into the field where the sheep were and were stealing the sheep? And babe ran, babe, babe, mama, you know, ran and got far, the farmer and brought him out and said, wolf, wolf, wolf. But it was, it was dogs and it was people in trucks. So in the Middle East at night, it was much more risky to leave your sheep out. So this is what this is implying. Jesus is saying for all the sheep who are out there and during difficult and scary times where you're concerned about thieves and robbers, because that's what he's talking about here when he says, I'm the gate or I'm the door, or getting devoured by a wolf or getting lost or getting have, having something harmful happen to you, come home. Come on in the gate. Come home. There's plenty of food, there's plenty of water, and there's shelter. And some of these surroundings, these gates, I mean, and these walls, uh, some of the farmers who were more humble or didn't have some of the means, they didn't have money to make an iron gate or a wooden gate. And so they were the gate themselves. They sat in the opening 
so no one could come get the sheep and the sheep could not get out and get harmed. And Jesus saying, I'm sitting right here. I'm not going anywhere. And you can have passage through me and come home and be safe. Don't live in fear of the enemy. Don't live in fear of your life. Don't live in fear of the darkness. I'm the gate. They knew exactly what he was saying. For us, you know, we just think, well, he's the door, walk through the door, la do da do da you know, da-da-da. The Western mind does these things. There's no shame, but it's a lot deeper because they probably wouldn't have accused Jesus, gotten as mad at Jesus, tried to kill Jesus for just saying, hey, I'm the door. They would have said, no, you're a ding-dong. You're not a door. <laughs> you're not a door. When he said, hey, I, I'm, not, I'm not a hireling which is the next one. I'm the good shepherd. You can't buy my services. I'm going to lay down my life for the sheep. I'm the good shepherd. So after he said, I'm the gate, he continued in that same chapter, chapter 10, and said, I'm the good shepherd. And I'm not for purchase. You you cannot give me money for what I do. What I do, I do because it's, the will of the Father that I do this so that I can bring all the sheep back that are scattered. I can gather them all and I'm the good shepherd and I'll give my life for the sheep. So the next is tied directly to the story of Lazarus where in John chapter 11, Jesus said, I'm the resurrection and the life. He's having that conversation with Martha. Martha is, is worked up. She said to Jesus, if you would have been here, this wouldn't have happened. How many people have ever said that to the Lord? Man, you're a day late and a dollar short, God. That's our interpretation of it. You're, you're a day late and a dollar short. In, in our mind, your timing was really poor. And you could have been here with your provision a long time ago. So you can see why I'm dedicating this to people that just feel like... And Jesus said, hey, Martha, he's going to rise again. She said, I know he's going to rise again. I know, I know he's going to rise again. Jesus said, no, I'm the resurrection and the life. Then he went and performed that miracle. And then he made the promise that all who believe in me, though they die, they will always live. Though you die physically, you'll live eternally. I'm the resurrection and the life. Which made him the promised Messiah, the suffering Savior. And the Jews are gnashing their teeth and wanting to pick up rocks so bad. I mean, they can barely contain themselves. All right. Little caveat here. Religious people get mad when people know who they are and when they're secure in Christ. Religious people get mad. Who do you say? Who do you make yourself out to be? Who who do you think you are? Who do you think you are doing this? People that know authority and understand authority, spiritual authority, godly authority, proper authority, you know, are are always being harassed and accused by those that are religious or self-righteous. So Jesus knows I'm trying to help them get out of this place. I'm trying to help them get over this hurdle. I know who I am. I know why I've come. I know the purpose for which God sent me. And you guys are part of this purpose, so I'm not giving up on you. So I'm going to keep talking to you about who I am, 
in hopes that you would receive me in that way. Here's the maybe the most famous I am statement. I am the way, the truth, and the life, John 14, 6. But what is that around? What is that subject matter around? When Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, what is he inferring or what is he referring to? He is giving us assurance that he's going to prepare a place for us and that where he is there, we will be also. Therefore, do not allow yourself to be troubled. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Who's he talking to there? He's talking to a bunch of people that are troubled. You ever have trouble show up at your door? You ever had trouble sleeping? You ever have trouble with a good conscience because of things you permitted in times past? You ever had a hard time letting go of yesterday in hopes that today and tomorrow could be better? You ever had a difficult time forgiving and releasing someone from a sin that they willingly or unwillingly committed against you, knowingly or unknowingly? You ever been troubled in life, in thought, That's why Jesus made this statement. Yes, it's in reference to a beautiful place called heaven. Yes, he's preparing a place for us. But we're not there yet. So in the midst of trouble, he says, hey, come on. I know the way out of this trouble. I'll tell you the truth about your trouble. I'll give you life in the midst of your trouble. Because when trouble shows up, we just don't feel like we have very much life. Our quality of life we feel is diminished. Like, man, life was going so good, and then what? Trouble showed up. Well, we know who trouble is, and we know who the troublemaker is. And Jesus said, yeah, don't let your heart be troubled. Don't let your heart be troubled. I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. Yeah, we use this sometimes in beautiful settings like, A believer goes home to be with the Lord, and so uh, we hear it in funerals. We hear it in reference sometimes, you know, just on a bumper sticker or a T-shirt. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. But the audience he's talking to is a bunch of troubled people. We use that to encourage one another. And rightfully so. Believers are not immune to trouble. He's just always with us. We know where to go to when trouble shows up. We go to him. And then the last one, are you guys ready? He said, I am the vine. Can there be a more beautiful metaphor than a vineyard? He used it many times in parables. He used the vineyard and he used all of the aspects of what makes a vineyard profitable, what makes it valuable, what makes it, you know, something that's significant to that culture. But he is saying personally to his own people, I'm the vine. Now, that sounds like the epitome of arrogance, of self-promotion, but it's not. It's the truth. He is, he is endeavoring to say, I am. I am the, I, I'm the all-sufficient one, the all-knowing, ever-present, right here with you, God. And I'm the vine. And in this teaching in John's gospel, chapter 15, 
he's going over all of the different things that a vine and a branch can do because they're connected. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. He said, apart from me, apart from being connected, you can't do anything. But with me, you can do it. And primarily, this is the end of that promise. You're going to be fruitful. No, no, you're not going to live in frustration. You're not going to live uh, a life below your purpose. You're not going to live beneath the call and the grace of God on your life. No, you're not going to live in the past where you felt devalued and and unworthy. And no, I'm not going to bring the the sins of yesterday before you. you just stay connected with me. And pretty soon the evidence of you and me being together is just going to be the same as the evidence of me and the father being together. And you know, this is going to skyrocket your confidence. So here is my appeal to you this morning. Why would we try to do anything apart from him when we've proven over and over and over and over and over and over again, it's unsuccessful. Why do we keep going back to that same formula and it doesn't produce fruit? Why do we believe this time is going to be different? We're just kidding ourselves. When Jesus is revealing himself, it's for the very purpose of saying, you were created by God, for God, and I'm bringing you back to him. Moses pointed to me, Abraham pointed to me, the prophets pointed to me. And because you're so stubborn in heart and hard in countenance, I am going to say this until it's perfectly stated seven times so that there's a testimony for you that after I am resurrected, you'll know I am. Not that I was, I am. Always have been and always will be. Let's break the cycle of futility and get over into fruitfulness. Let's break the cycle, church, of just going through the motions and being happy with mentally knowing God and yet not experiencing Him personally. Let's move away from this form of godliness. So we have a Bible study. What? Have your Bible study. I'm for Bible studies, but not for the sake of people having a bunch of head knowledge and not pursuing the person of God. The reason that he gave us the written word, listen, is so that we could experience the living word. His words are life to those that find them. Life, not death. It pulls us into him. To where we understand he is. He's everything he says he is. He'll do everything he said he'll do. Including resurrecting everything in me that I think is unresurrectable. Thank you for listening to today's message. We hope that it encouraged or inspired you to God's best. If you have any questions about today's message, need prayer, or would like to learn more about Living Word Fellowship, please call 641-828-7119 or visit us at lwfknoxville.com.